We've been in this series called Crying Out Loud, and, and I really believe, as God's been putting on my heart, there's far more that can be done through prayer than we realize. That a lot of the struggles we have in life, a lot of the difficulties we face are because we try to do it on our own, or we try to do it with the, with the minds of the people around us. And what God wants is our surrender to his will, surrender to him. And when I read the stories in the Bible of the great miracles of the Old Testament, the flood, parting of the Red Sea, Daniel and lions, and all those things, sometimes I feel a little cheated. Like, man, I wish I could have been around to see those, don't you? I wish I would have seen firsthand God do those miracles. But I have to honestly tell you this. I have seen God perform incredible things in response to prayer. One of the reasons I believe God exists is because God has heard my prayers and responded. It's not just coincidence. It's not that things just lined up in a certain way. I can, I can cite many, many incidences of unmistakable answer to prayer. And I think many of you too. Now, some of you are saying, but pastor, I prayed a lot and I don't see those things in my life. And, and my heart aches for you. Because sometimes people have this view that maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe God doesn't listen to my prayers. Or maybe God's incapable of doing anything to fix my situation. In fact, I heard someone say recently, God's going to do what God's going to do. It doesn't matter if I pray or not. It's a misunderstanding of the will of God. See, there are, there are things God decrees Things God says is going to happen. The sun will come up in the morning. The, the planets will revolve around the sun in a certain fashion. These certain kingdoms will rise up and fall. God determines things. There's prophecies in Scripture. There's a lot of things that God decrees that will happen. There's nothing man can do to affect that. But there are also things that are part of God's will that are His design, or you could say His desire. God, God has designed us to have a relationship with Him. God wants all men to come to repentance and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God wants us to be sexually pure. God wants us to always be thankful and to pray about everything. Those are all things that God wills. Do they always happen? No, because there's a human element. God designed us for that, but he's waiting for us to say yes to him. There is a part where we cooperate with God, and that's where prayer comes in. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. God, would you bring that submission to your lordship here on earth? Would you bring us under your reign here on earth? Just as in heaven, everything is in submission to you. And when we are in that place of saying yes to God repeatedly, the kingdom of God flows forth in our lives. And there is power when we pray. I shared with you over the last two weeks that I believe that Jesus' model for prayer, his own example, says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus gave loud and fervent prayers with tears to the one who could save him from death. Jesus prayed out loud, raised his voice passionately to the one who could save him from death. It made me wonder, is that lacking in our prayer life? Do we pray out loud? Do we cry out to the Lord? Because most of the words in Scripture that refer to prayer are actually audible words, cry and call on the name of the Lord. They're not in your head. They're actually verbally saying that, confessing the Lord. That's verbal. That's, that's telling God. Maybe it's because there's a devil out there who can't read your mind, but he can hear your voice. He doesn't know where you stand. And so we call out to the Lord. We talked about that, how important that is in our lives. doesn't mean that we can't pray quietly at times, but for most of us in our Western culture, that's all we do is pray in our head. We don't pray with our mouths. And I'm just urging you, maybe we're missing something. Maybe it's making our prayers less passionate and fervent by keeping quiet about them. Last week, I talked about how sin creeps in, and if we cherish sin in our heart, if we're refusing to confess what God sees as sin in our lives, it can block our prayers. 
And so God invites us. He doesn't say you have to be perfect, but he says you have to be honest. If you confess your sins and come into the light, he will forgive you of all sin. And the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Righteous just means they're in a right relationship with God. They're dealing with the issues they have in their life with God. They're not perfect, but they're in that relationship. And when they are, he says their prayers are powerful and effective. And so we're learning to pray that way. And Wednesday night we'll have another experience. And I hope it's the first of many such experiences that we start to have. Because, you know, when I look around the culture and I look at the world and I look at the political landscape, we are a messed up culture. Politically, financially, morally, we're getting more and more messed up. And if we as Christians don't pull together in prayer, we're watching the nation go over a cliff. And it's amazing. We spend more time debating on Facebook the candidates we, we love or hate, then we pray about them. We, we talk to people and vent about it far more than we gather together and say, you know what, would you come over to my house and let's pray about this. We have to pull together. God has put great power in the community of believers. And so even today, I hope to convince you of the power of praying together. In fact, I want to ask you just in your hearts to do that right now to join with me, that, Father, you would speak to us through the message today, through the example of Scripture, of the power of corporate prayer, of the power of believers, two or three, four, hundreds, thousands who come together in unity to seek your face. And, Father, I pray that today as we listen, we don't listen for the things we agree with or the things we don't agree with, but we listen to hear your voice of what you're saying to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a story from the Old Testament. It's found in the book of 2 Chronicles with a man named Jehoshaphat. I love that name, Jehoshaphat. He was a king over Judah. The nation of Israel was divided among the tribes of Israel and the tribe of Judah. And, and all, the tribe, all the kings over Israel were evil kings over the course of history. The kings over Judah, some of them were good men. And Jehoshaphat was one of them. It says he walked in the footsteps of his father David. Now, David wasn't his, like, immediate father, but in the family tree, he was of the line of David, and he walked in the ways of David. He taught people God's word. He aligned the people in faithfulness to God, and it, it, it impressed the nations around them that they decided not to make war with Judah until a period of time went by, and the nations started to rise up and unite against him. So when we come to chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, three nations came together to wage war against Jehoshaphat, and some people came to the king and said, a vast army is coming against you. There is an army. It's not a small army. It is a huge army. It's coming against you. Jehoshaphat hadn't been used to fighting. He hadn't had the experience of a war. And so I don't even know if he had an army ready. He's not ready for this. And they're on their way within a matter of maybe days. There's going to be this onslaught of thousands and thousands of warriors coming against their people. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, here's what Jehoshaphat did. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Didn't know what to do, so he prayed. In fact, he resolved to pray, saying, I will not do anything else but pray. I'm not even going to eat. That's what fasting is. I'm not going to eat because my hunger to hear from God is greater than my hunger for food. Have you ever had a moment... That you hungered more to hear from God regarding a job, regarding a relationship, regarding a matter of your life, that you were willing to say, I will not eat until I hear from the Lord. That is, a, that is being resolved 
to pray. And he inquires of the Lord, God, what do you want? So the people all came from, from all the nations. They gathered together, tens of thousands of people, moms and dads. And it says even their kids stood by them as they began to cry out to the Lord. And so Jehoshaphat, on behalf of the people, utters this incredible prayer. And at the very end of the prayer, Jehoshaphat says this, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, I've been in places like that. God, this stuff's creeping around. It's pressing in. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Why was Jehoshaphat saying that? Because maybe God had the answer. And so God sends a prophet and says, here's what I want you to do. Take your, take your people, go out to the battle lines, and I want your singers, your musicians to be at the very front. Because we're gonna, you're going to fight, but you're not going to fight with swords, and you're not going to fight with weapons. You're going to fight in worship. Can you imagine being on the front line, you know, our praise team out there at the front of a, a gas, Afga, we're in Afghanistan. Okay, guys, we're not going to give you rifles. We're going to give you guitars and drums and Pringles cans with duct tape. And you get to go out there at the very front. Man, God better come through or we're, we're dead. God better come through. I imagine their voices might be trembling a little bit as they're singing, praise the Lord, his name endures forever. And they start singing. It says, as they sang, God caused those armies to fight against each other and they destroyed one another. I wonder what God would do in this church if we came from every neighborhood, every home, gathered together for prayer and said, God, would you do something in our city that would be so amazing that people would be in awe that our God could do that? Could you, could you eliminate the PTSD that we're dealing with? Could you heal the broken marriages that are so prevalent? Could you bring unity with parents and kids because there's a whole generation of kids who feel disconnected and unloved? Lord, what would God do if we came together in united prayer? Because when you go through the book of Acts, you can't help but see that we are better when we pray together, that we are far better when we pray together. And I want to take you through some New Testament passages on it. But before I do, I want to tell you, when I was in high school, just become a Christian, one of the first experiences I had with prayer was every Thursday night, our youth group would gather together in this room. We call it the upper room. It was a wildly psychedelic painted room in the Methodist church. And we had about 20 chairs in a circle. And my friend Gary would bring his guitar and we would gather in that room. And here's high school kids who love the Lord and they're singing songs like um, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. We were just singing the songs that were popular at the time. We would sing and then we'd stop and pray. And we'd sing and we'd, we'd stop and pray and sing and lift our voices in prayer. You know what happened? God, we'd pray for our classmates. We'd pray for our parents. We'd pray for God, the community. And, and God grew that youth group, and God bound our hearts together. And I learned to pray by being in that community. It spilled over into the school because in the morning, we would gather half hour before classes in, a, in the history room of one of our teachers. And we would go there, and anybody who wanted to could join. And we would, we would join hands in a circle, and we'd pray. And sometimes kids would peek in the door and say, what's going on in there? And if they cracked the door open, we'd say, come on in. We'll tell you when you get inside. Join us for prayer, and, and it was cool to watch kids praying for their classmates. Now, I loved it because sometimes I got to hold the hand of a cute girl next to me. Yeah. Uh, but, but, the, but it was amazing what God was doing in response to prayer, corporate prayer. And I see that throughout the book of Acts. It, it, prayer fueled that early church because Jesus rose from the dead. He told his disciples they're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
He doesn't give them really a, a manual of how to do this. Here's how you plant a church. Here's how you grow a church. Here's how you do it. He said, you need to go and wait until you receive this power from God from on high. So we start in Acts chapter 1. I'll start with verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Then he lists those who were present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what are they doing? What else do you do? We don't know what to do except pray. And so they began to pray. And that became the driving force of the early church. And I want to take you through what God did in response to that corporate prayer gathering. Very first thing happens in verse 15. They find direction. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He, he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. All of a sudden, the scriptures come alive like, hey, hey, all the stuff that we've seen happen, that's part of scripture. That was a fulfillment of scripture. In fact, he goes on to say, Scripture tells us that, that we need to pick another one to take his place. And so they cast lots and pick a guy named Matthias to become one of the apostles. But here's what happens when believers come together. God begins to illuminate the truths of Scripture. And you start praying, and as you're praying, God starts to bring to mind the things that he's already said in Scripture. We saw that last week when the elders went away on a retreat. And as we're praying, prayed for a couple hours on Friday night, it was just placed upon our hearts that we are called as leaders to shepherd the flock, to feed the sheep, and to protect them from danger. That's what God calls us to do as leaders in the church. We find direction. We find in chapter 2 that we receive Holy Spirit power. Again, they're up in the supper room praying, and then this, this incredible thing happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit dwells in the company of believers. Where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. See, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in this building called the temple. And in the New Testament... He doesn't, he doesn't dwell in church buildings. He dwells in a building made of people. In fact, it says that we, meaning plural, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we come together with our minds focused on God, the Holy Spirit is here right in our midst. Isn't that a powerful thing? Even today, the Holy Spirit is here and he's whispering, he's prompting, he's, pl- he's, he's, he's speaking to you because he's present. He is present in, in individual believers, but collectively he's present in the body of believers called his church. We flip over to chapter 3, in the very beginning of chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So as they're going to this place of prayer, which is interesting, it's 3 in the afternoon, it's called the time of prayer. What does that tell you? They had a regular habit of praying at 3 in the afternoon. And on their way to the prayer meeting, they run into this guy who's lame along the way, and they didn't rush past him saying, hey, hey, I'd love to talk to you, love to help you. We don't have anything, but we're late for the prayer meeting. It's as if their hearts are already in tune with God that God says, hey, hey, listen, I'm, I'm arranging a divine appointment for you right here. This man, 
He needs what you have to give. You don't have silver or gold, but you do have the power of prayer. He prays over him, lame man's healed. I wonder what God would do to us if we spent more time in prayer together, how in tune we would be to those opportunities with our neighbors, with our classmates, with uh, people we work with, with people, strangers in restaurants and along the way at the park that all of a sudden God puts in our path. And because I've been in a, in a place of sensitivity to the voice of God, God says, okay, that's the one I want you to talk to. I've heard stories and stories. I've experienced that myself where God has whispered to me, go talk to that person or give that person something because I've been in a spirit of prayer. Those divine appointments come as a result of prayer. In chapter 4, we find that we get boldness to speak on his behalf. Because after this miracle of the healing of the lame man, Peter and John are chastised by the religious leaders. And they're warned they shouldn't do this anymore. And of course, that's like putting a wet paper towel in front of a train. They are not stopping. Just your threat is not going to stop us from doing God's work. And so when they come back to gather with the church people, here's what happens. Verse 23 of chapter 4. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, here's what they did. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. They didn't all go to their little prayer closets. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they recited an Old Testament promise. And then they asked God, would you give us boldness to speak your name? Would you stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders? In the name of your servant, Jesus. It says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I mean, I can think of these, there's probably a lot of shy people in that group. And they said, God, give us courage like Peter and John because it's going to be hard. We're going to have opposition. We can't do it on our own, but give us boldness. And he gave it to them because they cried out for it in united prayer. We can go on in, in chapter 6 and see that prayer is a priority, that the apostles are, are burdened by the needs within the growing church. There are widows that need to be fed. And, and so the apostles say, pick some men among you who can minister to those widows in need. But we as apostles must devote ourselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, why was it? Aren't people important? Of course they're important. They're very important. They're, the, they're, they're really the focus of ministry. But if we don't Stay tuned in to God. We're going to get off course. This whole thing called the church is going to go off the track if we don't stay tuned in with prayer and rely upon God's word. So that's what we as leaders are going to do. Be focused on prayer and the word. Now, if we go to chapter 12, we'll jump a few chapters ahead. We're going to see how united prayer invites miracles in. It says, It was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now, it doesn't say it there, but if he kills, if he kills James, brother of John, and everyone cheers, all the religious people say, yeah, that was good. You got rid of one of those Christians. What's he going to do with Peter? Same thing, same thing. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen guys watching Peter. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But what was the church doing? The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Remember a couple weeks ago when I said that word earnestly is sometimes translated fervently, passionately? They are crying out on his behalf. And so the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping with, between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up 
Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. goes on to say that the angel then led him out of the prison, right past the guards. They didn't even see Peter. Miracle. He walks outside, goes, I'm a free man. Shawshank Redemption. I'm out here. What do I do? And he decides to go to the house where he knows that the believers are gathered. So he goes to this house, knocks on the door, and a servant girl answers it, and she hears it's the voice of Peter. She's, she, she can't even open the door. She goes, I can't believe this. She runs back and tells everyone, you won't believe us at the door. Peter! And they say, no way. <laughs> now, how's that for faith? You've just been praying, God, rescue Peter, God, deliver Peter. They said, Peter's at the door. No way. It just it makes me think, sometimes even in the midst of our little bit of faith, God still hears our prayers. And they open the door, and there's Peter. Now, get this. What would have happened if the church had not earnestly prayed for Peter? Would God have said, you know what? I responded to you guys. That burden was on you guys to pray for him. I let James die. Nobody prayed for James, possibly. But because you prayed for Peter, I want you to know the power of united prayer. I will do miracles in your midst. You know what's so frustrating for me is um, this whole political thing is so aggravating. And I'll watch Hillary or I'll watch Donald get in front of a mass of people, and all they do is rile up the troops with hatred for the other guy, for the other party. Wouldn't it be great if all across this nation there were Christians gathered together, crying out to God to rescue this nation and deliver a message not of hatred but a message of hope? We have the power to do that. We would make far greater impact as churches to devote ourselves in prayer than we'll ever make at the ballot box. And so let's leverage the power God has given us as a church to change our nation. We are better indeed when we pray together. We also recognize leaders. If we flip over to chapter 13, it says in chapter 13, starting with the very beginning, now the church in Antioch, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, get that, while they were doing that, the Lord, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It was right in the middle of this prayer meeting where God says, hey, hey, those two guys right there, I want you to commission them to be my missionaries, to leave your fellowship and go out and change the world. And so they fasted, they prayed, laid hands on them, and did just that. But it all transpired in this culture of prayer. I learned when I was a children's pastor that, that the, the, the job of raising up Christian leaders is overwhelming. We had 700 kids coming on a weekend, and we needed, we needed a ton of children's volunteers. It was a constant work as a children's pastor. And so I, rather than be overwhelmed, I just had this arrangement with God. I said, God, you said you would build the church, okay, right? You said, it says in Scripture, you're going to build this church. You also said that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. So I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to call out to you that you would send forth laborers, that they would be identifiable. They'd be easy for me to spot because, Lord, you're raising them up, and I will put them in positions of leadership. And again and again, God answered that prayer. God, God does it in that culture of corporate prayer. There was a man this morning that shared with me that when he led a youth group, he said one of the most important things they did is gather the youth leaders every week to pray for their kids. And they said they could tell a difference the weeks they prayed and the weeks they didn't, the response of the kids to youth group. There's a couple little things. We won't take time to dive into them, but in chapter 16, there's a couple references to a place of prayer, a place of prayer. Now, if you thought about that today, where's, where's your place of prayer 
you'd probably say, well, the church, like generally, but I would say many of us do not have a place of prayer. And it's important that if you're to make it a priority, you have a place that you go to, and it might be in your house. And our church lobby every Thursday morning at 6 o'clock is a place of prayer. There were two people that came for the first time this past Thursday. You are welcome to come. But the lobby at 6 o'clock on Thursday is a place of prayer. Where are those designated places for you for prayer? We also find that when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he knelt on the beach with other believers, and they prayed for him. It made me think of how often we begin things with prayer. God, would you do this? God, you bless this. God, would you open the door here? But we don't end it with, with prayer, saying, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you. Would it continue to bring you glory? Begin things with prayer, but also end them with prayer. Make them the bookends of everything that you do. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor, we can do these things by myself, right? I mean, God does all those things in response to individual prayer. I'd say, yes, he does. He does all those things in response to individual prayer as well. But what's the benefit then of the corporate prayer? What's the benefit of coming together? There is a special power when we come together, and for three specific reasons. One is God is greatly invested in his church. God has called the collection of believers, the body of Christ, to do his work on this earth. We are his body, his bride, his family, and the church is still the hope of the world. I know the church can be frustrated. I know the church isn't perfect, but God still chooses to bless through the church. And so when, when he, the head, looks at us, the body, we come together, there's unity and there's power. Here's something else that happens. Our hearts and minds get aligned when we pray together. It happens anytime people come together in prayer. For example, husbands and wives can pray individually for their marriage, but man, there is power when a husband and wife decide we are going to pray together because walls start to come down. Satan's goal is to isolate us and so coming together actually breaks some of the walls that Satan tries to put up because how can you be mad at your spouse when you're praying together? If kids and parents are all sitting around a, the room or sitting on a bed praying together, it's hard to harbor um, anger and jealousy or, or things like that toward each other because the walls come down when you pray together. And we're called to pray for one another, right? Scripture says pray for each other. How much better when we're together to know what their needs are, to listen to their voice when they share their concerns, even to reach out and say, you know what, I want to pray for you, but not just on my prayer list at home. I want to lay my hands on you. I want to put my arm around you and pray over you. There was a, a couple that came forward this first service. They've got a little boy. He's five months old. His skull is growing in a weird way that's pressing in on his brain, and they're going to go see the doctor this week. It's her only child, little precious boy, and, and he's going into seizures. In fact, while they held him, he started shaking. And I said, can I hold him and pray for him? And they said, oh, yeah, of course. I held that little boy and loved on him and prayed over him. Yeah, I could have said, you know what, when I get home, I'll pray for him. But there's power when you can actually touch someone and pray over them. That's why Jesus touched so many people when he prayed. And here's something else that happens when we pray together. It brings a unity that's visible to the world. I, I received a, something on Facebook last night that I thought, Lord, that just fits in so beautifully. There was an, uh, an African-American woman driving down a highway one morning very early, saw a police car pulled off to the side of the road. She, she stopped. She rolled her window down, quickly put her arms out like this because you know our culture right now. I'm not armed. I'm not going to shoot you. I don't, I don't hate police officers, but do you need help? He said, no, ma'am, I'm just washing my windshield. He had a little bottle of Rain-X and was spraying it on his windshield, and he's cleaning it all off. And he said, can I do your windshield? And she says, no, no, it's just fine. He says, no, no, I insist. I would love to wash her window. So she said, okay. So he started spraying her window, and she said, I couldn't believe it. Here I am 
early in the morning, a police officer's cleaning my windshield. And then this older couple drives up and says, hey, sir, can you wash our windshield too? He says, I can do that. So he starts to spray and wipes down their, their windshield. And the older lady says, can I pay you something? And he said, no, but would you pray for me? So they got out of their car. The black woman got out of her car. And right then on the side of a busy highway, they joined hands in a circle. And they prayed for this police officer. And they said, isn't it amazing that black hands and white hands and officers' hands and young hands and old hands all become one in prayer? What would happen to our culture? What walls would come down between genders and races and, and young and old, all that, denominations, if we would join hands in prayer? Think what God would do. And think what testimony it would be to the world. We have a God who wants to do amazing things through us. And when we raise our voices together to the one truly that has the answers to every issue we're facing, what would God do? I know that sometimes you face that place where, God, I do not know what to do about my marriage. I do not know what to do about this relationship. I don't know where to go with my job. I don't know how to get out of this financial mess. I don't know any of that, but I know you. And I know the power you possess, and so my eyes are on you.